Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Hello there, friends and listeners, young and old, new and old, old, (laughs) old, old listeners, talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This episode is going to kick off a new, brand new spanking episode. I don't think I said that right. Brand spanking new. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, a, a, a brand new series about side quests and uh, it's what I call um, a side project that has layers of strategy added to it. You know, I think side projects are a great way to develop your creativity, but if you add a few layers of strategy that we're going to talk about in this series, I think you can elevate it into a creative side quest and it will be your greatest marketing tool to uh, advance your creative career. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about side projects out there. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of talk about how to maximize their potential for creative career growth. Um, and I've learned so much on my journey uh, on how to 
really get the most from side projects that are meant, you know, some side projects are just to develop your creativity and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with them. And that's really great. You need those two at different times. But um, I also believe that side projects, when handled right, can give you constraints that actually maximize your creativity, maximize your creative development, and maximize the potential that they will spread and be your best marketing tool. That's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. I am super pumped about it. I've been planning it for months, literally, maybe even longer than that. Um, and the reason we're doing this is because I am launching a Kickstarter today to uh, get the second print run of the Creative Career Path handbook that I made back at the beginning of the year. Um, those sold out really quickly, and I wanted to up the ante. So if you didn't get your mitts on one or you want to get um, some of the... Uh, some of the rewards. We got a new t-shirt. We got some other stuff. We also are launching, um, there's a few of the one-on-one -on -one sessions, which are like creative career coaching sessions open as prizes, um, but those are limited. So if you want those, get in quick. And uh, if you're a massive fan of the podcast and uh, you've been looking for the perfect moment to, to give back or do something, um, it would mean the world to me if you not only would back the podcast, but back it today or as soon as possible because the more momentum you get on a Kickstarter at the beginning, the more explosive it ends up. And uh, I really, really, really would appreciate it if you would stop what you're doing. Go to kickstarter.com, search the creative career path and find my Kickstarter or the links will be in the show notes on creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. Um, so thank you so much. I'm so pumped to launch this Kickstarter. I've been working on it for ages. You can go see me acting like a goofball on the video. Also, there's a lot of announcements today, so I apologize. But um, also another giant thing happening right here, right now to, to make this as big of a launch as possible. We are, we've been doing this thing's been in the works for a long time. Me and my buddy Alex Sugg, who edits the podcast and provides some tunes, has actually been developing a original soundtrack for Creative Pep Talk, especially made for this side quest series. It's, it's very hero's journey. It kind of has a, a real story arc to the music, and it's released on Spotify and iTunes right now. You can go check it out. Go search Creative Pep Talk or search Alex Sugg, S-U-G-G, and go check it out. This is I've been working to this music um, for the past few weeks. It's really, really good creative uh, work music. It's instrumental. It's uh, uplifting. It's got a pulse to it. Um, it's exactly what I like. Me and him kind of conceptually came up with some ideas here, mood boarded, talked about. I told him, basically, I want this album to feel like the hero's journey mixed with uh, <laughs> a stop motion video of plants blossoming quickly. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, but that is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you're going to hear it on this episode and over the next couple episodes and on future episodes. It is Creative Pep Talk uh, Original Soundtrack Volume 1. So friggin' thrilled to do this collaboration. It's a dream project to work in this way, and uh, he knocked it out of the park. So go check it out. There's a song called The Pencil and the Stone, and it's my favorite, but don't skip to that. You need to let it build up to that. Um, anyway, go check it out. I'm so thrilled to be sharing that with you and, uh, and, uh, go connect with Alex Sugg on, uh, social medias and tell him that you're checking it out. Thank you guys, uh, for 
listening. We are going to jump into this series. Uh, just a quick note that uh, this episode is going to touch upon a few different things that we've talked about in the past. So there's going to be, if this was a TV series, there's going to be some flashbacks, but everything is recontextualized and updated with new stories, new insights, and I and everything applies to um, creating a powerful side quest. And I think um, for you old-time listeners, you're going to hear maybe even some n- new insights on some things that you probably some parts of my journey that you maybe have heard me touch upon in the past. And then also some stories that I uh, haven't shared before that are, um, that I've got some that I'm super pumped about anyway. So that's just a heads up. If you hear like, Oh, he's going to talk about that. It's going to be new stuff coming at you, baby. So just stick with it. Um, I'm so proud and excited about the series and I think it's going to be, um, one of the, uh, anyway, I'm not going to overhype it. Just get into it. Here it is. So I am not naturally a business guy. I'm not naturally a marketing guy. Uh, I do think I am kind of inherently strategic. I think my brain kind of works that way. Uh, but I'm not a business person. I'm not a money person. I'm not a numbers person. Um, none of that stuff came naturally to me. It's not my true inner self. I'm kind of really truly, and like when I was a kid, just a really creative person and a really mystical, weird guy. You know, I think I was always living in a fantasy world in my head. Even when I was a teenager, I was still pretending, even if I wasn't outwardly playing X-Men, like like pretending I was an X-Men, um, I was playing it in my mind. Like I remember walking home um, from the bus stop when I was like, four, no, 14, I was going to say pretending to be an X-Men in my head. <laughs> but now, I, the funny thing is I did that I, I probably, I don't, now I'm trying to work out of it. I probably don't do it that much anymore, but I used to do it as a method for getting to sleep when I was in college. It was just like in my head, pretend that I was a superhero. Eventually I quit playing X-Men though. I grew out of that, guys. All right, I made up my own superhero. His name was, I don't know, it was a terrible name. <laughs> what am I talking about? Why am I telling you this? But essentially, he re- they replaced his blood cells with a computer. <laughs> what was going on? He was kind of like Venom, but a good guy. All right? Venom is from the Marvel Universe, if you don't know. He's kind of like Spider-Man. Anyway, I'm a creative weirdo. That's what I'm trying to say in case I haven't convinced you enough. I grew up that way. I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into school, uh, math, or any of that stuff. Stuff that the world makes the world go around, it seems. Um, I was into drawing SpongeBob. You know, I was obsessed with Nickelodeon, X-Men, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, even though I was way late to po- like I was too old for Pokemon, I was still way into it. Um, Jim Henson, man, Jim Henson uh, saved my childhood in so many ways. I'm such a crazy Jim Henson fan, and I am not a Burt. I'm an Ernie. We talked about that a few episodes ago. I'm a chaos Muppet, not an order Muppet. Uh, I, and you know, Ernie is my inner self. If you could open up and see my true inner spirit, it would just be Ernie, uh, this goofy, chaotic weirdo. Right. And, uh, that's, that's who I really am. And I think that 
being a creative kid is super awesome. It's actually like pretty much an awesome way to be when you're a kid, but being a creative adult, not so awesome in a lot of ways. You know, I think I knew that creative Ernie's, you know, Ernie's got, had a pretty good childhood and people really liked Ernie's when you're a kid, but I could see like going forward past, you know, middle school and especially past adulthood into career world um, that you really needed to be a Bert to survive, right? Like Bert's were the people that um, were winning. And for me personally, I am a creative person. You know, I like, I know I'm not like a crazy Jack Kerouac fan per se, but I love that quote where he's talking about, you know, um, the only ones for me are the mad ones, the crazy ones, you know, the ones that are like have deep desires and they're wild people. Like those are my people. And I don't think you necessarily would know that because of the journey that I've been on, but that's the truth. But I remember being like this creative Ernie as a kid and looking forward and thinking, you know, it'd be, I can see if I was a Bert, adulthood would be a lot easier for me. Like uh, the, the, the world is pretty much set up for Bert's. And I would look at the Ernie's in my life that I related to, you know, friends of mine, my mom, people in my life. And I was watching their lives unfold into tragedy as they entered adulthood, that they just were going to get crushed by the world. And I was, and I, quite honestly, uh, I was so frightened to uh, enter the, the magical, mystical, scary, unusual world of adulthood and career. And I, and I was desperately uh, afraid of it. And, uh, and that, so that was, that was me growing up. You know, I had, I've told this story before. You can actually go back to episode 170 if you want me to hear, want to hear it in more detail. But my mom is an Ernie, uh, a true chaotic individualist artist type loner weirdo person. And I, I'm all of those things too. Um, but her life was, uh, her life is, she's still alive, um, really tragic. And uh, it was so painful because I was always told that I was just like her. And then I watched her life um, go from tragedy to bigger tragedy to bigger tragedy, ending in, um, you know, hardcore drug abuse, abusive partners, physically abusive partners, uh, and, and ultimately terrible poverty and, and uh, health issues. And when, when you grow up being told that you're just like a person, and then you watch their life turn into that, adulthood becomes extremely petrifying. And uh, that's what it was like as I was headed. Every year I got closer to being an adult. Um, I just got more and more scared. And so, and I also watched lots of friends do the same thing. And then I, I encountered a lot of that crap as I entered adulthood, a lot of failure and a lot of struggle of um, the world really not feeling like it was set up for me. Like, uh, you know, the privilege of coming from a father who, uh, you know, my, my dad is from kind of a lower class family, uh, lower, ca- low, lower class income, poverty. Uh, his, his whole family ha- is really 
was defined by that. That's what his history was. And he was the first one to go to college. And um, he did all of this crazy hard work and broke kind of the uh, curse of poverty in the Miller household. And, uh, and I had the privilege of growing up in that house. And that allowed me to kind of just go with the flow. And actually that... Uh, initially worked out pretty well for me. Uh, I got to go to college for graphic design and illustration. Not a super fancy school or anything, but um, still got to go for a creative um, kind of uh, area. And so, and even that, that, that all kind of, just by kind of doing what I was told, ended up in, you know, some beginner's luck, getting some clients out of the door. You know, I worked hard, but... Um, I didn't have to get super strategic. I didn't have to really um, make my own waves. I was just kind of just going with what was coming at me. That ended all in all kinds of great stuff right out of the gate as an illustrator. But uh, it only took me so far and the kind of go with the flow river dried up pretty quickly. And uh, I don't know if it was the recession or what, but basically I was... Uh, hung up to dry. I don't think that's a phrase, but you get it. It sucked. I, uh, and, and because of going with the flow had worked with me so well, uh, I made a bunch of leaps. I just kind of was like, yeah, things will work out. It'll be totally fine. And I got married and had a kid and got a mortgage like with the, and quit my, my first job to go freelance illustrator within a year of graduating. <laughs> Which, which I think, you know, to all you people who maybe um, had a, a, a heftier dose of reality before that, probably have the wisdom to say, you're an idiot, Andy. What were you thinking? How did you think that was going to work out? But I thought, you know, I had the naive kind of, um, you know, what's that Muppet song? Um, the rainbow song, rainbow connection, just kind of like following the rainbow. Like it's going to work, man. Like follow your dreams. It's all going to be good. Just make, you know, whatever. And I was naive in that way and thought it was all going to kind of work out and it didn't, uh, it got dark quick. We got into a place where we had, I had no job, no prospects, no, no illustration jobs for six months, empty bank account. Um, you know, the shame of, having a kid and not having any groceries in my in my refrigerator and not knowing what to do and thinking am I in a situation where I have to be you know go get um you know do I have to go to a food pantry like what do I like these are like real things that I'm even like ashamed to share with you whether I should be ashamed or not um it just felt so crushing and uh you know I should say right here that um, as I entered, uh, as I was experiencing this call to the adventure of being an adult, call to the adventure of building a creative career, uh, I had a mentor. My dad w was supportive and there for me, but he didn't. Uh, he, it's not like they never helped us. They did um, in some really desperate times, helped us a bit, but essentially was never going to bail me out. Uh, and I never asked him to bail me out. And, uh, but I think I, I really owe a lot to him for being, uh, for standing with me. And, you know, I think like in stories, when it comes to like crafting stories, one of the things they say is like the, the main character can't 
that has to learn their own lessons. Like they can't be bailed out from the, I think it's, I don't know if it's the ex machina thing or not, but it's basically like you can't just have like a supernatural savior, savior hero, or they don't learn their lessons. And I was really fortunate to have a dad who, um, who could have helped, could have, could have probably fixed all of my problems and chose not to, um, so that I could figure it out. And I'm really grateful to, because he sat in that tension. It's not like he just like disappeared. He would sit with me and really mentored me, uh, as a business person, because my, even though my mom's a crazy creative, my dad is a crazy business person and, uh, encouraged me to, uh, to go through the super hard stuff. Um, and so I really appreciate that. And I, you know, I hope you understand that sharing all of that is really vulnerable and hard for me. Um, it's a, those are like really deeply personal things, but I think they're important things to, um, to, to share with you. And so, you know, I think we always think that the, the call to adventure, like the calling on our life, uh, is going to be this moment where like the clouds part and you can hear Seeger Ross playing and you know the angels are singing uh uh i don't know hoppy polio or gobbledygook or something those are cigarettes songs if you don't know if you don't know stop listening to this stupid podcast and go listen to that music i'm a giant fan um but (laughs) of cigarettes but you think that it's going to be this angelic moment of andy you are the one who has come to be to have a creative career (laughs) Uh, but it wasn't like that. My call to adventure, uh, was an actual call, not from God, but from bill collectors that were like, uh, Andy, you can't go with the flow anymore. It's not going to work that, you know, your, your mystical wishes are not going to pay the bills. Where's our money. And if you've never had a bill collector call you like that, I I hope and pray that you never do because it is humiliating and especially when you're like I have no other marketable skills. This is what everything I was betting everything on this and I have no idea what to freaking do. And, and when it got tough and I had to figure out what how I was going to make things happen and how I was going to make waves and not just go with the flow and I initially said no to that call. I refused the call to to adventure and I got a job at a youth shelter for about Uh, nine months. And I even took down my creative website and completely gave up on this creative career path. And so I, uh, I, I shut it all down and, uh, and, uh, eventually when I realized that that path wasn't going to lead anywhere and it wasn't my real path, I decided to give it another shot and figure out what it meant to not just be a creative person, but be a creative career person, a creative business person. And I said, all right, let's figure it out. So when I decided to say yes to building a creative career, and not just being a creative person, uh, I did the only thing I thought I could do, which was I Googled things. (laughs) I Googled uh, things like marketing your illustration, how to grow a creative business. And to be honest, at the time, this was like 2009, 
uh, there wasn't a lot on the internet at the time about that. And the stuff that was on there, essentially the, the level of strategy that was available at the time in the early days of my career, basically the only advice I could find was direct marketing advice, which was just basically cold calls, meaning email, like pick a few of your dream clients and approach them directly and shoot them emails or phone calls or postcards and say, uh, will you work with me? Here's my work. Look at it, please. And that, that, was the, that was kind of the strategy available to creative people at the time, at least what I could find. And, uh, and it didn't, and I tried it, and it didn't do hardly anything for me. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a time and place where you got to light the fuse a bit and, uh, you know, directly connecting with like middle people, like gatekeeper people, like blogs and publications did help. That was totally true, but it wasn't enough to build a career and it was really in a kind of an ineffective strategy um, as a foundation to build your life on. Uh, And so uh, actually I, this is mainly what I talked about over the weekend. I just did a talk at making Midwest, had a great time there um, speaking and my whole talk was about Zelda. And in fact, this whole series is going to be about Zelda um, because Zelda is all about side quests. If you don't know, if you don't know what Zelda is, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in Zelda, into Zelda to understand the analogy. I will give you uh, a little background of what Zelda is. Zelda is a, um, is a hero's journey. Uh, so it's a, it's a hero's journey video game. It's been out since the late 80s, early 90s-ish. Um, it was on the first Nintendo. And it's basically a hero's journey, which just means that there's a hero and his name is Link. By the way, real quick, if Zelda was a church, the ultimate blasphemy, the thing that would get you excommunicated from the church is calling the hero Link Zelda. Zelda is not his name. Zelda is the princess that he saves. Okay, now, don't worry. It gets more progressive in later Zeldas where Zelda actually has an alter ego, spoiler alert, uh, who is kind of um, B.A. She's like, uh, also happens to be a sweet ninja that's awesome that saves Link sometimes. But anyway, that's aside. This was the late 80s, different time. Um, But this hero, this was before Moana was the hero. Okay, But this was a Hero's Journey video game where uh, Link was the chosen one to save Hyrule, save Zelda, defeat a guy called Ganon. Ganon's the guy all the way back to the first Zelda, and he reoccurs in most of the video games as the ultimate bad guy, the force of evil that Link has to uh, destroy. And so, in this talk, I shared that... um, I actually pretended to quit illustration and podcasting and focus on my number one passion, which is playing Zelda. Uh, And I I actually played Zelda, the new Zelda from the Nintendo Switch on the big projector. And And I wanted to show you that what's amazing about the new Zelda Breath of the Wild is that it's an open world. 
Like, you can do anything at any time. It's essentially 99% side quests. Like, there isn't one quest that you're going on. Now, there is one ultimate goal that's kind of the main quest, and that's defeating Ganon. Ganon being that evil guy that's behind all the destruction of Hyrule over all Zeldas of all time, essentially. Um, but the cool thing about Breath of the Wild is that because it's open world and because everything else besides defeating Ganon is essentially a side quest, you can go straight to Ganon. You can attempt to defeat Ganon from the start of the game virtually. And so when I plugged in the Switch while I was at uh, Making Midwest this weekend, uh, I tried to go straight to Ganon. And uh, it la playing Zelda there lasted about 32 seconds because there's all these gatekeeper guardians, these giant robots that are guarding the castle that destroy you if you try to head that way. And so the fact of the matter is you can hypothetically go directly to Ganon, go directly to your ultimate goal. But if you don't go on the side quests, you will get destroyed. Does that make sense? Um, you have to go around doing all these things that develop your uh, strength and give you weapons and give you defense and give you all the tools, all this uh, strategies you need to get through the Guardians, get through the castle, and get to Ganon and save Hyrule. Okay? And so I, sh I played this out in... Uh, I played it out live. And my point was... This is why direct marketing falls short of saving your creative career. Because it's not enough to mark out your creative career Ganons. You know, maybe it's working with the New York Times. Maybe it's working with Nike. Maybe it's, uh, you know, doing a campaign for who knows what. Or maybe it's having a best-selling album. Whatever it is, you know, it's not enough to just mark that point on the horizon and head straight there without developing your strategies, without developing your creativity, without uh, going on creative side quests. And so I, so direct marketing wasn't working. And now I want to give you a little aside here. Even if somehow randomly you get past the Guardians and you get to Ganon and you have your dream opportunity... Uh, I will give you a hint. It's still not going to bode well for you, Link, because if you have not gone on these strategic side quests, if you haven't developed your creativity to perfectly destroy these dream clients, which now I'm mixing metaphor in a way with reality in a way that sounds kind of weird because you're not supposed to destroy your dream clients. You're supposed to help them. But uh, if you don't go on these side quests, even if somehow direct marketing does work without these extra layers of strategy, you're going to get your butt kicked in. And uh, I was, I don't know, luck is a weird word looking back because it kind of blew up in my face, but I was lucky enough early on in my creative career to get an opportunity with the dream client. Like I told you at the beginning of this, I grew up obsessed with Nickelodeon. I can draw SpongeBob from, uh, from heart. Uh, off the top of my head, I can still draw a mean SpongeBob today. Nickelodeon, if you're listening and you want to do some promotional cool artist series about SpongeBob, I'm your man. 
Uh, I don't even have to practice. But uh, I was obsessed with Nickelodeon, and I got an opportunity almost right out of college to do illustration to be animated on Nickelodeon. And it'll go, it was basically the equivalent of going straight to Ganon. And I used every weapon that I had. Unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of weapons. I'd used every, every creative trick that I had up my sleeve at that time. I made these final illustrations. I passed them over to the client. I passed them back um, to the people I was working with. And they replied really quickly which is the sign of something really great or a sign of something really bad. Their response to my final illustrations was, rough drafts look pretty good. Looking forward to seeing how they come out in the final. If you didn't catch it, they were the final. This quick reply was the latter. It was terrible news and it blew up in my face. So even if somehow you can weasel your way in with just direct marketing and get to Gannon, you're probably still gonna get your butt handed to you. And creative side quests and going and doing all of these things on your own accord, I believe is the answer to doing everything you need to get Gannon, but at the time I didn't know about SideQuest because there was no creative pep talk podcast. And so I had to figure it out on my own. So when direct marketing fell short to save my creative career, I, instead of just turning to like um, information available to uh, about developing a creative career, I decided to go straight to the source and just start studying my creative superheroes. Um, I started looking at people like Jessica Hish, Lisa Congdon, Dan Cassaro, um, people that were just having these explosive moments in their career and just studying like what did they have in common. And essentially, they were all doing the same thing. They were doing these things called side projects. And although I believe these three people had a lot of strategy added to their uh, side projects. It wasn't obvious what those strategies were from the outside. And the general uh, attitude at the time, it seemed like in the industry was, do side projects uh, and all your wildest dreams will come true. And the only like layer of strategy that I could deduce from what people were saying was, follow your bliss which you know, I'm a hero's journey guy. I'm a Joseph Campbell guy. I like that idea. And now, Follow Your Bliss, I think, is actually a really nuanced concept that then turned into just following your dreams or doing whatever makes you happy. That's not what Follow Your Bliss meant from Joseph Campbell. I mean, Joseph Campbell was the same person who was telling you to face your shadow self and and go into the dark caves and do the hard work of slaying the dragon. It's not all bliss, okay? Um, Anyway, but that was the layer of strategy that I heard kind of um, added to like, just do whatever you love. You know, my friend Kyle Sheely would just did a talk um, at Making Midwest too. He stayed in my house for the past couple of days. We had a great time. We're big talkers, talked nonstop for days. Um, and, uh, and he said this too on stage yesterday. He was like, you know, hear this a lot, like do what you love and the money will follow. Well, that had not been the case for me up into that point. I was already doing what I loved, but I thought I'll give this side project thing a whack and do doing what I love um, in a kind of Forrest Gump running to the other side of the country sort of manner. 
Uh, and that was my only layer of strategy. It's like, okay, maybe my work isn't that interesting in the same way that jogging's not interesting to people. But if I just jog to the other side of the country, then people might stop and say, I think he has the answers to world peace or, he, I, or give me some attention at least. And so I just thought maybe I'm just not doing what I love with enough gusto and I'll do it as a side project and I'll make... 260 characters and I'll make a new character every weekday for a year and maybe that will solve all of my creative career problems. Um, and that wasn't the case. It didn't work like that. Uh, it did work better than direct marketing, um, but it still got really mixed results that I couldn't build a thriving creative career from. It didn't give me enough, give me a real foundation. And so I... Uh, what it ended up doing was giving me mixed results. And I kind of felt like um, as I was doing these side projects as a dad, as a husband um, who was, uh, you know, trying to bring home the bacon, trying to bring home some money, I felt like I was telling my wife that I worked at the casino, but I didn't have a job at the casino really. I was just going to play the lottery. That's how reliable these side projects for saving my creative career felt um, because the results are so crazy. I got, I did get some jobs, but they weren't really jobs that I wanted. Um, they weren't the, this, my strategies weren't good enough to uh, get what I actually needed to thrive. So one of these jobs these weird jobs that came my way through this side project effort um, was with an agency that I'm not going to name, partially because I'm a nice guy and I don't like. I'm not the kind. I'm not really the kind of guy who. Uh, not. I don't know. I'm not in a place in my life where I'm like taking down people. I just don't know exactly. <sighs> Blah, 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 blah. That's one reason. The other reason is I don't really know what libel is. I don't know the definition of libel and I don't want to get sued. I, so I don't know. I'm not in a place to do that. And also I don't, I, I'm not even sure these people exist anymore. So there you go. But this job came, that's basically set you up to know this story doesn't end well. But uh, this agency started hiring me at this dark time in my really bad place um, as a husband, father, um, where my creative career was virtually in the gutter. Uh, and we were, you know, I was getting, I was in a really crappy place. Um, in other podcast episodes and talks, I've talked about laying face down on the living room floor in these times. And, uh, you know, they were really dark moments. I think if you're a person that um, has always had money, and has have always, um, you know, been middle class. Uh, whether you grew up that way and and stayed that way or whatever, um, you can't really understand how dark it can get emotionally and and shame wise and um, and situationally if you don't have money. And you know, they do studies that say that you know, uh, up to earning seventy thousand dollars a year, your happiness actually does increase the more money you make. After $70,000 a year, you're you know, you make more money than that. The more you make, it doesn't really contribute to your overall uh, happiness. And so, you know, I think that 
I'm not getting into an economic debate right now. I'm just saying that if you've never experienced really super struggling financially, um, I'm not sure you can really fully understand what that feels like um, failing on that level. But I was devastated, situationally depressed for sure. Um, really, really dark days. My darkest days, I would say. Um, you know, I had days in high school where I'd con- contemplated suicide. And in these darker days, it was like I- I'd never contemplated suicide in as a father and husband. Um, but it was worse than that because I felt like there were, there are no other options. I have to figure out how to make this work because it's not just about me anymore. And so it was a super dark time for me. And uh, in this dark time, I was having to take any jobs that came at me. And one of these jobs that came at me initially looked like a friggin' uh, savior. It was uh, a job with an agency doing work for a massive tech company. And uh, I did this job. I uh, they, they didn't give me a lot of information right from the get-go. And I just assumed that I was ignorant and just didn't know what I was doing and kind of stupid. That's kind of how I have lived my life most, mostly is like, oh, I just must be an idiot. They're probably right, even if they're taking advantage of me and being mean. Um, I've since grown up a lot, but I still kind of maybe lean that way sometimes. But anyway, they came to me. Didn't give me a lot of info. Basically, we're like, go, go, go. Make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. And uh, I didn't have time to really think about it. Just started making tons of stuff, hoping for the best. Uploaded my work to the server. And uh, this is what happened next. The actual founder of this agency got on the thread. And he didn't like what I made. I'll say that. Um not only did he not like what I made, he tore it to shreds critically uh, and then proceeded to insult me as a person and call me terrible names, uh, insult my intelligence, and berate the work that I'd done. And at the time, I, w- I didn't know any better and thought maybe I'm just stupid. Maybe this is the way that the creative world works and, uh, and maybe I just totally missed the boat. So I just went back, made a bunch of work, tried to fix all the problems, uploaded again, and this person got back on the thread and replied with something like, no, 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 no. Why would you do that? Why did you make that? Don't do that. Don't make that. Oh, that looks terrible. Fix this, this, that, that. And that happened, and I was devastated, and that happened uh, two or three times, this cycle. And eventually, I just couldn't take anymore. And, uh, and I, I just thought, I'm going to have to stand up to this person and just quit. And never in my life before or since have I quit in the middle of, a, of the job. But it was in this time that my like inner creative chaos muppet, my inner m- mystic, the mystic side of me uh, that sees life as this epic mystic journey uh, spoke to me. And it was like my inner Ernie from my childhood was saying, uh, you know, Ernie from Sesame Street was saying, you know, if you stand up to a bully magical things happen. That's not a, that's not an Ernie impression. I can't do an Ernie impression, but, but I just had this sense like maybe if I take this leap of faith and I put this bully in his 
place, then the universe will reward me. Maybe next week, all of my problems will be solved with some magical job that's perfect for me. Uh, and so I said, you know what? I'm out. I don't deserve this. This is outrageous. And I, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to bill you for my time. I will give you the work that I've done, but I'm out of here. And it was this giant theatrical email. Uh, <laughs> you know, if it was in person, it definitely would have been like Jim Brewer and Half-Baked quitting his job. And that is that I made a big stink, got out of there. I was like, I'm out. I deserve more than this. And I thought the universe would be like, yes, you stood up for yourself. You believed in yourself. You believed that if you made the right choice, good things would happen. And you know how I was rewarded? Terribly. Things got worse. The weeks that followed that, uh, things got worse and worse and worse. And uh, it was a really bad situation. And there were more laying face down on the floor. There was deeper debts. There were, um, you know, more desperate times. And, uh, and guess what happened? This dude, this agency pulled a reverse Larry David. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Larry David uh, quit Saturday Night Live. He was a writer on Saturday Night Live and, and then realized that he'd made a giant mistake and then just came back to work the next day and said, and they were like, what's going on? You're like, oh, I was just kidding. It was just a big joke. I didn't really quit. And it was basically a reverse Larry David where I quit. And then the next day, the boss calls up and says, hey, why aren't you at work? I thought you were joking about that. And this person who I thought, I'd never see this person again, shows up and has a massive new project for me. And I basically don't know what the heck to do because I desperately need the money. I can't afford to be choosy. I don't have any other options. And uh, I go to pizza with my dad, <laughs> which I feel like this is like the level of epicness of my journey is that like, you know, my meeting with Obi-Wan Kenobi isn't like in the dunes of, uh, what do you call it? Tatooine. Uh, it's like over the $5 pizza special at the local pizza place where they give you a big slice of pizza, two breadsticks, and your choice of ranch dressing, queso, or uh, garlic butter. I probably chose garlic butter that day. Anyway, <laughs> that's what my meeting with the mentor was like. Or, you know, this is my Yoda on da Dagobah, I think it's called. Um the mysterious elderly figure. He wasn't, he's not elderly. But anyway, I meet with my dad and I'm sat there talking with him and I'm asking him like, what do you think I should do? And uh, his attitude was basically like, um, don't like hold on to your dignity. You don't deserve to be treated like that. Like stand up for yourself. But you know, your path isn't always nice. Like, you like you sometimes you have to go into hard situations and hold intention, you know, uh, doing what's right and getting on with it. Like, you know, you might have to just face this dragon head on and, you know, you stood up for yourself and they came back. So, you know, you can continue to do that, but ultimately you got to provide for your family. And, uh, and I think he was completely right. And so I said yes to the project, even though I didn't want to. 
and I, and it was scary for me and it taught me how to stand up for myself. It taught me that, um, that all of the power and control wasn't in the hands of the client or, or the person hiring you and that you actually do have the power to speak your mind when you need to and that it's not going to be the end of the world. And I did get more respect the more that I did that and I didn't uh, allow them to take advantage of me or, or hurt me beyond that point. But it was still really a massive struggle. It was, not only did I do that project, but they ended up being like one of my main sources of income. I worked on a bunch of projects with them and it was all kinds of hard times. There were times where I would um, pass in the project and uh, and, uh, at at 3 a.m. thinking, here it is, you know, I'm going to bed and then hear my email like two seconds later and them demanding me to get edits by 5 a.m. when I'd already been up all night and there were times where we had you know we were having these big arguments and and you know these uh just these drag out whatever and then even it got so bad that when my wife was having our second baby uh I they were hounding me while, while she was in labor for files and uh, it was just, a, it was such a hard battle and I hope I never have to revisit it. Um, but I think that it's really important that I went through it and I'll tell you why. So the more I worked with this company, the more I started to figure out what the heck they were. I didn't really know. At first, I kind of probably assumed they were like a normal ad agency or something. Um, But eventually, I I saw these signs of something that was completely unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And so uh, at first, a lot of the projects we were working on, my work ended up getting killed for this or that reason. Um, But eventually, uh, my illustration was the star of this online campaign for a big brand and uh and you know we put it out this project and the next day it was on like five of the top online media outlets um one of them being buzzfeed ran a whole massive story about my illustration and about this project and about this um content and it was uh, the craziest thing because i'd worked out from working with them that essentially we were making side projects uh, for businesses where they were doing like extracurricular things to attract customers, um, you know, creating this creative content around the stuff that they sold and it turned into, uh, marketing that had its own life that spread on its own. And that, that essentially was super powerful for getting the word out about their, Um, offering and getting them new customers and new eyeballs and what they were doing. And so when this first thing happened, I was like, what the freaking heck are they doing? How are they doing this? Because not only did it happen once, it happened a bunch of times. It wasn't just random luck that BuzzFeed featured it. It wasn't random luck that all these media outlets picked it up. They were making these side projects for these companies in such a way that they were reverse engineering this growth, this impact. And they were proving it with numbers and figures. And they were like, they had these presentations to the clients. And I was just like, what the heck is going on? What do they know? 
And so I started diving in deeper with what this company was doing. And it turned out, turned out that they were essentially early day branded uh, content strategists. They were adding all of this strategic marketing to these side projects. And they had these real principles and values on how to not just make something um, that sounds like fun to make, but how do you make something that spreads? How do you make something that works? How do you, and, and they were doing it on command and it was blowing my mind. And what they were making was actually pretty sweet, honestly, even though if they got there in kind of a bad way. And so I consumed all the content that they were putting out about how to do this kind of strategy. Uh, and then I started picking up books about this stuff and listening to podcasts and diving deep into the world of like business strategy. And it was totally, totally blowing my mind. And I started taking these lessons from working with this company and I started applying it to my own side projects and boom, that's how what we call creative side quests were born. And I'm going to talk to you about like what happened there. But before I do, I want to just say that I think this is an interesting uh, lesson. And you might have heard me say this on the podcast before, but it's a Joseph Campbell quote that says, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure we seek. And it's about slaying the dragon. It's about going through the hard times. It's about facing them head on. And so for me, that was totally true. This client, this opportunity that came to me in a dark time and that, that was excruciating to work on ended up holding the keys, the treasure, the elixir, the sword and the stone that changed everything for my creative career. And actually, guys... I wish that my advice was different than that. I wish my advice was, if something feels bad, man, just turn the other way and everything will work out. Go with the flow. But that hasn't been my experience. And uh, sometimes the thing that we need the most is hiding in the place that we least want to look. So there's four major principles that I learned uh, that I've added to my uh, side projects uh, and, and transformed them into side quests since then. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share one per episode and dive deep because they're pretty complex ideas in a way. Well, they're simple ideas, but they're kind of complex to uh, translate how they go from just business strategy to uh, creative career strategy and I've worked really hard on figuring out how to translate that and have had some really great results in my own career and also helped apply these things to other people's career and so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks but um, how that applied to me I started taking these ideas that I was learning about uh, business strategy and marketing strategy and applying them to all of my new side projects and it started to completely transform my creative career. And so I started with a, a book project and I was trying to apply this idea that the, the creative projects you should, you make, ugh, the creative projects you make should reflect the kind of work you'd like to get hired to do. So reverse engineering an outcome. And at the time I thought, um, maybe I'd like to do book covers for novels, which was, 
crazy since I don't really read novels. Um, but I, that, that information somehow failed to register in my mind. Um, so in that way, it was kind of maybe not the best strategy, but it was way better uh, strategy in a side project than I'd done before. And I did this book cover project. And then I moved on from there when that wasn't working. And I learned a little bit more about uh, how to add these strategic layers. And I made appropriate work. I started illustrating my own articles because I wanted to illustrate articles for other people. And, uh, and it was also, I added a layer of generosity to it where I was giving away tips and tricks, things that I was learning about developing my creative career. And so it was not just appropriate to the work I wanted to get, but it was also generous and it helped it spread to new people. Uh, And then I started to connect with peers. I started to do projects that were not just me on my lonely island, um, but connected to other people in the industry. And that also helped it spread. I did a project called Color Me with my friend Andrew Nyer, where we made, uh, we turned the art gallery into a giant coloring page. And you could color it in with five and a half foot giant markers. And that was a, another layer of strategy. And now all of that stuff led me back to my creative career, Gannon. And uh, for those of you that have heard me talk about this before, this is just a flashback, but some of you maybe have never heard me talk about this before. At the beginning of this episode, I told you that somehow through sheer beginner's luck that I got past the Guardians, got straight in front of my creative career, Gannon, and got an opportunity to make illustration to be animated on Nickelodeon. I went from a kid drawing Nickelodeon characters to an adult with a shot at having my characters on Nickelodeon. And, uh, and I got crushed by Ganon early in my career before I had done these side quests, before I had learned how to strategically develop my creativity and my creative career. And then years later, all of these side quests made waves to lead me back to another shot at taking down my creative career end boss. And uh, yes, I got an email from Nickelodeon saying, hey, we love your work. It was different people, uh, by the way. (laughs) We love your work. We'd love to have your illustration on our channel. Um, And I was deeply aware of two things. One, this was the same Ganon that I'd faced three years ago. And two, this wasn't the same me. That I had gone through all these side quests. I had new weapons in my belt. I had new tricks. I had new defenses. I had more strength. And I gave this work every single thing that I had. I put everything that I had onto the page and I made these final illustrations and I sent them over and again, I got a quick reply, which is either a really good thing or a really bad thing usually. And this is what they said to my finals. We love them. We love these. I remember it being in all caps email. And you know how much that, do you have any idea what that meant to me? It blew my freaking mind. And uh, 
it worked out so well. I went on to beat Gannon like 10 or 12 more times. They ended up being my biggest repeat client and uh, a big part of the foundation of building my creative career. And I couldn't have done it had I not gone on these side quests. And in Zelda, in Breath of the Wild, this is also true. Like if you go through all the side quests, the more side quests you go on, the easier it is to crush the enemy, to crush Ganon. And so I want you to have your own moment of Ganon crushing because baby, it feels so good. And I want you to have that. And I want to give you tools to complete four side quests, uh, four different layers of strategy to elevate your not not four layers, not not four side quests. One side quest with four layers. That's the good stuff. And the more I've learned to do that, the more powerful my side projects have become. So that's the birth of creative side quests. You know, I think side projects, you know, projects that have no end result are really, really important. And I think especially early in your career or when your career is getting in, where your creativity is really hurting, I think that that's what you got to do. You got to go, you got to start without an end in mind and really just follow your intuition and follow your accidents and see where that stuff happens. That's a massive part of being a creative person. I would never discourage any of that. Uh, I think that those, that there's a time and place, there's a season of your career creative career that you definitely need to tend to that stuff. That's for sure. Uh, But I also think that if you don't just want to be a creative person, but if you want to have a career at this, that adding some layers of strategy to your side projects and embracing this idea of side quest can be a complete and other game changer. Side projects are great for creative development, but side quests are, I think, essential to building a thriving creative career that has a real foundation that, uh, you know, is, is uh, perennial, that, that comes back. And that's, these tactics are things you can use for the rest of your career um, to, to not just go with the flow and hope for the best, but to make your own waves. And, you know, ultimately, I want to just say that... Um, I just want to bring it back to the beginning and say that I'm not a business person. By nature, I'm not a Bert. But Bert taught me a lot of things <laughs> about how to run a business, how to build a, how to have the strategy to thrive as an adult living in the times that we live in. And ultimately, none of it was about, you know, thriving. It is. A kind of a, a, a way to get to thriving. If a part of that is making money. It is succeeding in business and career. But that's not the point of thriving. That's the method of thriving. And ultimately, it's not my hope that I would help you create these side quests so that you can crush it in business. I don't really give a darn tootin' about that. What I care about is your true self, that chaos Muppet that lives in you. And learning to bake these four layers of strategy into my side projects has allowed me to 
return to my creative self in a way that I never have. I ended up taking these four layers of strategy and, you know, I explored them in a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different projects. In a lot of projects, I had one layer of strategy or two or then eventually, you know, three or whatever. But um, and that helped me build a thriving creative career as an illustrator. But when I took these layers and I combined all four into one side quest, do you know what we got? The podcast you're listening to right now, Creative Pep Talk. And the ultimate, you know, the ultimate uh, reward for doing that wasn't, you know, more money or more fame or whatever. Ultimately, the payoff has been it's given me the space and the margin to be my most creative self. In the past couple years, I have never felt more like Ernie. And you remember that time when I was down and out and I listened to my inner Ernie that said, stand up to a bully and magical things can happen. When I stood up to that bully and magical things didn't happen right away, I feel like a part of my inner Ernie died. I felt like I was like, you lied to me, Ernie. You lied to me, Jim Henson, when you said, follow my dreams and and believe in the rainbow connection. It ended in pain. And I think there there was a season of my early adulthood where that inner child really died and I kind of became callous to it. And the power of this creative career strategy and the power of creative side quests isn't so that you can be a hard-nosed business Bert. The power of it is it can enable you to have the space and the margin to reconnect with your true self as a creative person. And that happened to me. When I baked these four layers into this podcast, it helped me make up with Ernie, literally. A few months ago, I'd mentioned on the podcast that I had the opportunity, because of the podcast, to go speak to a creative team at Sesame Street uh, and share my story and, and share my thoughts on creativity and creative careers. Uh, and it was a once-in-a-lifetime dream opportunity. And I actually got to go visit the set of Sesame Street and meet my childhood hero, Ernie. And I even have a video on my Instagram of me dancing with Ernie. And I remember being on Sesame Street and looking around. And it was like uh, being reborn, honestly. It was remembering, you know, you've been on this long journey, this deep dive into the world of business and adulthood and seriousness and learning from Bert. But dude, you're an Ernie. And so for me... Creative side quests have allowed me to recapture that and reclaim that in my life. And uh, that's why I'm sharing it with you. That's why I believe in it. That's why I'm doing this Kickstarter to, to do the Creative Career Path um, handbook. And while, I'm a, while I will continue on this series and through this method of creative side quests to help transfer the things that have helped me um, to help you. Um, not so that you can crush it in business, but so that you can reclaim your inner 
chaos muppet as a creative person. Just one more thing that I want to add at the beginning of this series, and I know this is a long episode, so please forgive me. Although it is a long episode, I think it's maybe the one of the best episodes, hopefully, too, um, which hopefully makes up for it. But, okay, so I just want to say one more thing about strategy. So we're going to be talking about, I'll, I'll probably be comparing from time to time uh, the layers of strategy that I added to Creative Pep Talk versus early projects like the Nod Project. Um, and I think one thing that ends up happening if you're in Ernie is that when Bert shows up to say, hey, we could probably do this in a way that would make it work better and starts adding layers of strategy that it can feel to Ernie's, it sometimes feels a little bit inauthentic or more, it starts to soil the pure intentions, um, adding layers of strategy. And, uh, you know, when I start talking about the strategic layers that I added to make Creative Pep Talk a successful side quest, um, I think that sometimes that can sound like uh, because I was being strategic, it didn't come from an authentic place. And that could not be further from the truth. And actually, it's the opposite. So because I am an Ernie, because I'm a creative person, because I grew up with watching creative people struggle, uh, I have a deep well of passion for seeing creative people thrive. In fact, there was all these chunks out of my heart um, from watching uh, creative people fail. And each one of those chunks was like a... Uh, a, a hole in my heart being dug and it turned out not to just be a hole but a well a well of passion uh, ever, all of the pain that I've felt for creative people and as a creative person has translated into a deep desire to help creative people thrive and being strategic about doing that doesn't soil it it enables it and if you have a deep passion for creativity Adding strategy isn't going to ruin it. It is what it deserves because it. when you add layers of strategy, you enable it to be effective and your passion and mission deserves your, uh, your, your best. It, des- it deserves you to be, to give it your all, including setting it up stacking the deck in your favor for it to be effective. And so uh, I just want to encourage you on that because I think strategy sometimes is uh, hard or it feels like it's going to ruin it. And for me, these guidelines and these creative constraints have actually enabled my best work. They didn't actually just develop my career. They developed my creativity as well. And, uh, you know, on this podcast, just a quick flashback um, to... uh, many episodes but if you haven't heard it and just because it's a good analogy for this I think the best analogy for the power of strategy is my running to a tower story I'm not going to give you the full episode version of the tower story but I am just going to say um, that was my email because this is I'm adding this in and I'm not doing this recording in a, in a proper way this is the messiness um, I I, I th- when I was in England, I jogged a lot, and one day I decided to jog to this giant tower, 
And uh, it was actually a really good strategy because um, when I picked this point on the map that I wanted to head to, I could reverse engineer what roads to take. I could just take the next right road that was pointing to it. And eventually I ended up at that tower, even though it was like an 11 mile jog, longer than I've ever jogged before or since. And, uh, and it worked. But I had failed to realize that my house was not a giant tower and that I could not use the same strategy to get back. And I think a lot of us, um, you know, strategy is essentially defined by that. It's saying this is an, it's reverse engineering an outcome. It's saying this is where I'd like to go. This is the problem I'd like to solve. And by doing that, you can figure out what roads what strategies will lead to getting there. And once you have done strategic moves like that and seen the power of them, it becomes super addicting and uh, and, and mesmerizing because you're no longer accepting your fate, you're making it. And uh, that is what strategy is all about. And I feel like a lot of us are trying to find home in our creative worlds um, by just feeling around in the dark. And that was me lost trying to find my home with no point on the horizon to shoot towards. And so if that's you, I'm going to encourage you. The start of this series means uh, it starts, strategy starts with a really fun thing, which is just dreaming up a future that you would like to pull into today. Dream up what clients you'd be working for. Dream up what that would look like. And that, you know, and that's why I actually think that visualization Um, Maybe it's not a mystical power. I don't really know about any of that. I'm not going to speak to that right now. But I do think it's a practical power um, in just the first stage of strategic moves. So this week, my actionable step for you is to just start dreaming. Even if you did it at the beginning of this year, six months into the year, um, seven months into the year, it's a good time to revisit and look at where you're headed, um, course correct, and uh, dream again. Start dreaming up. What could the next six months look like? What could a year from now look like? Where do you want to end up? And we'll talk about how you can bake in layers of strategy into your side project to turn it into a strategic creative side quest that can get you there. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That's episode one of our creative side quest series how to turn your side projects into your most powerful marketing tool Uh, i cannot wait to give you the rest of this content it's stuff that i have wanted to do a deeper dive on and articulate better and i've been working really hard to figure out how to do that and uh, i think you're going to be 100 jazzed about the stuff that's coming at you over the next couple weeks listen if you are a creative pepperoni, if you are crazy about this podcast, creative about creative about crazy pep talk podcast, I said that backwards, not on purpose, but kind of on purpose. Uh, if you are really crazy about that, usually I say these are the ways that you can give back to the show, but today I'm not going to say any of that crap. Here's what I'm going to say. If you're crazy about the podcast and you want to give back to it or you want to dive deeper into this stuff, go to Kickstarter, search Creative Career Path and back the podcast as soon as possible. Actually, I've read that for create, for Kickstarters to have a major impact, it helps to get big momentum from the get-go. So I really, really appreciate it. If you would do me this solid, pause what you guys are doing and, uh, and back it today and not wait till tomorrow or wait 
until later before it's funded. I know that's easier, but I would really, really appreciate it. Anybody who's willing to um, go back it now. And also, um, if you were waiting for those uh, one-on-one sessions to open up again, um, they'll, I'm guessing they'll go quickly. They usually do. And so there is kind of a, um, a time limit on that. So if you're looking for that, go get that now. You can get it on Kickstarter or you can go in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes or you can find it on the link on my Instagram at Andy J Pizza. Thank you guys so much. And I know a lot of you guys have already been asking for the ebook to be re-released and for the uh, physical book to get reprinted. So there it is. You can go get your copy of the Creative Career Path um, seven-step process to uh, find the sweet spot in your creative career right now. Thank you guys so much for making that happen. Go check out the the first the volume one of the official Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. I searched it on Spotify and saw it today, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so insane. And, and dude, I am so pumped about it. Alex Sugg is super legit. Uh, as a musician. If you don't know, he provides the music for Levi the Poet, which I know some of you guys are fans of. Um, and uh, he he's done all kinds of awesome stuff. He edits this podcast and has provided a lot of tunes, but now he has created an original soundtrack for this podcast and it we worked on it together we did mood boards and talked about it and felt like what's it supposed to feel like what are the different moods what you know what what's what's on my heart for this and how do we want it to feel i told him i wanted it to feel like uh plants growing in stop motion <laughs> and he translated that into music and oh my gosh i am so crazy about it and i think that um I'm sorry to overhype it, uh, but I think uh, I've been using it as my go-to work music over the past couple weeks, and uh, it stands alone really, really well as like just driving instrumental stuff to make creative work to. Um, so go check it out. Go search it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your music. Um, the Creative Pep Talk original soundtrack by Alex Sugg. Thanks to Yoni Wolf for our theme music uh, and, and his band Y. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing this show and, and providing the other tunes. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. I cannot wait to come and bring more pep with the rest of this series ASAP. Until then, stay pepped up.